0: Famed idiot Finlayus Fogg loses far fetched wager.
1: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short video games, the kind of games that you can probably complete in an evening or a weekend, but also we like to focus on games that try interesting things that big budget games just don't dare to try. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura?
0: Hello, I'm doing good.
1: And Shane, how are you doing? Super great. Shane, of course, is my uh, twin bro and bro host. And Laura is our game picker this week. We are covering 80 Days. This is a game for iOS and Android that I had kind of overlooked, and I am super glad that Laura encouraged us, I will say.
0: (laughs) I mean, I've been straight pimping this game since the (laughs) IF episode where I was talking about hybrid games, games that kind of are interactive fiction plus some actual interface. So I'm super excited that we're talking about it. That's absolutely what this game is.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people may look at this game and think, what do you mean I have to read? But, uh, oh my god, this game was so amazing.
0: So I'm super excited for covering this game. It's based on Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. Um, The first screen you actually see after a little lovely rotating globe intro where it introduces the credits um, are the words London 1872. I have entered into the service of a new gentleman. It would seem he is a gambling man.
1: Evocative.
0: Yes, you're playing the role of, uh, Passaparto, which we did look up the pronunciation before
1: the show. Wait, you're okay, playing... sorry. Pass a, passap- How's it spelled? It's, it's past part two, pass I think. part two. Pass part two. two. Okay.
0: Damn, I messed. I even looked it up and I
1: messed it up. Also, Reagan, you're not allowed to say evocative unless you say what is being evoked. <laughs> um, the the what feel of the you, setting Reagan? is being evoked. A. Uh, 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 But prior to the show, I was being made fun of for having used the word evocative in nearly every episode. Don't worry, Reagan, it's not just you. Every every member of the short game, and in fact, every person in the gaming press I have recently realized has just gotten hooked on the word evocative. (laughs) It's a great word because you don't have to say what it evokes. It's It's better than saying saying really cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll take another one and another buzzword: atmospheric. This game is super atmospheric, and Incredibly. part of what makes this game super wonderful is that the author uh, Meg Janeanth. Yep. Janeanth. Um,
1: this is a game is a spaghetti bowl of difficult pronunciations.
0: Yeah, we're, I'm not French. <laughs> I took and got a very bad grade in French in college, um, but uh, basically Meg Janeanth has made this great world where. Uh, Phineas Fogg and Passepartout,
1: Pass his
0: his loyal valet, or not so loyal, depending on how you choose to play them, are going to go around the world in 80 days to win a bet. And it is your goal, uh, your role as valet, to not only keep your master alive, but to find the best route uh, and try to have as many adventures as you can on your own.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that I was surprised at when we first got into the game and I think was a really, really smart choice is that you're not playing Phineas Fogg, the person who's decided to make the trip around the world. Uh, Kind of in keeping with the novel, you're playing his valet, um, whose job is really to be the brains of the operation and get the slightly possibly lazy or foolish or otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. aloof uh, a little bit racist. Fog, a little bit racist. Fog around the world in 80 days. So it's really his valet, uh, Passapartou, who's having the great adventure, while Fog is sleeping and being shuttled from place to place and, uh, you know, dressed and undressed and put into nice hotels, etc. cetera.
0: I mean, who wants to play the guy who'd rather read the newspaper? You'd rather have the guy who's going to make the dumb decisions, because you get to make all the dumb decisions and have all the romance and have all the cool side quests. The sidekick is really where it's at. And mm-hmm. this oh, game has gotten a
1: ton of praise and awards. Oh, incredible. I can't believe this game flew under my radar because when we went to go read up on it for the show, I saw this incredible list of different awards and praise that it has received. Um, first and foremost, Times Game of the Year. I didn't know Times had a game of the year. Yeah, Time Mag, Times Magazine. Times Magazine. Times... Magazine has a game of the year, and it's on the iPhone. Yeah, actually, and- what I think is really interesting about this is that I think it speaks to the the market that this game addresses. Um, this is a game that, because of the way that it plays, the fact that it's on the iPhone, which I think is really important to the success of the game, uh, there's a lot of aspects to this that mean that I think this game is going to be able to hit a really broad market and not just gamers. So I don't think this game really appeals to the quote-unquote gamer uh, or at least not specifically. Uh, it really is something that almost anyone who enjoys a good story can play. Uh, and uh, and you know, people who don't mind reading and, and maybe enjoy looking at maps, it really gets at this market that isn't addressed by a lot of other games. And because of that, a lot of the praise for this game has come from places that aren't traditional gaming publications. Time Magazine, the App Store put this in their best games of 2014 list. Um, the New Yorker had this on their best games of 2014 list. Um, Mashable, The Guardian newspaper from the UK, um, and, and a bunch of others.
0: Yeah, this is getting press within the IF world and outside of it. It's kind of broken through um, the barrier where it's both critically acclaimed in its niche and outside.
1: And I think it walks an amazingly tight line between types of interactive fiction. You know, There's uh, the incredible depth of games with a parser, like you know, your, your text adventure games, but those are really, really difficult to learn. You have to basically learn to speak the game's language. And then there's games that, walk the completely just choose your own adventure line and those can feel a little bit like just flipping through a novel and making some trivial choices along the way. This game gives you a ton of really significant choices at every moment um, from dialogue choices to choices about the route to choices about how you're going to play your character and it. Uh, so it gives you these enormous number of choices, but it doesn't overwhelm you with an interface or a language that's going to be difficult for anybody to pick up. It's super simple to learn to play this game. And it's welcoming to everyone. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's, you know, it's welcoming to every kind of person and player. And there's a few things that it does that I think are completely unique. Like in terms of, um, in terms of, IF, I've never seen an IF game, interactive fiction game with any sort of multiplayer whatsoever. And this game has the ability for you to kind of uh, race against other players that appear kind of live on your map.
0: Yeah, there's also a few competitive interactive fiction. Um, This does include game center integration and you can share your trip around the world after the game ends. No spoilers, it's just your headlines and cities and what you sold or bought. But that social aspect um, has really helped the game have a little bit of a longer lifespan online. A lot of people have compared routes, um, compared storylines. After the spoiler break, I'm really excited to find out what we have discovered, because even though I've played the game many times, um, I know that Reagan and Shane have found things I've never seen before in the game, and that's tremendously exciting.
1: Yeah, it's really every time you play the game, you get a completely different experience, which is one of the things I think that's kept me, I've only played it through completely twice, but I, I have a strong feeling I'm going to be playing through it several more times just to try and find some of these things that I haven't found yet.
0: So actually when you play the game, um, what most of the experience is text. We keep saying interactive fiction. Um, so it's kind of what Chain called Choose Your Own Adventure Plus. Um, you, a short piece of text will appear, you tap on the next um, part of the sentence, usually making a decision. Sometimes even there's nothing else on screen and you have one choice, usually when it's spelling out your doom slowly. Um, But they use the text to pace the adventure and also to give you a chance to choose. And as you continue to craft your narrative, the top of the screen will fade out and it'll scroll upwards. So you're never seeing the whole story at once. It has that nice ephemeral time passing quality. And even though you'd love to spend a long, long time reading the script, there's always that 80-day clock going. So that's the core mechanic. You're reading a story, but time is passing. And you know that the longer you spend in a location, the longer you pursue a wonderful storyline, the less chance you have of actually making it back to London to win your bet.
1: Yeah, this is a real-time clock as well. I mean, the clock keeps ticking even if you're just staring at the screen. And that's something I don't see in a lot of interactive fiction. Most interactive fiction progresses in sort of chunks of time based on how often you make choices. So if you walk away from the screen and leave the game and then come back to it and make another choice, there hasn't been any actual time passing while you, were, while you were away. In this game, there's actual time passing. There is a timer at the top of the screen that shows you how many days you're at and how, you know, how many hours you're at, and you'll see those, those minutes ticking away. And that really keeps the game moving. You just never wanna look away from the screen. You wanna keep making choices and keep uh, progressing the plot forward. Love to talk a little bit about kind of the characters and the setting of this game. Uh, it would, it would, it's my favorite thing about the game. The game mechanically is unique, but the thing that really, really is amazing about this game is the characters and the setting. Yeah, it tells such an amazingly fun story, and that's the thing that surprised me most about it. I did. I mean, it's based on a super old novel that I read when I was a kid, and I don't remember particularly liking the Be honest, you novel. didn't read this no- whole novel. When I you totally were a kid. did. Oh no, you know, you know what? You know what? I just realized. I think I read the uh, Laura. You read the uh, the Great Illustrated Classics version. Yeah, of this. I know. <laughs> I, think I, did. I know because I remember the pictures. <laughs> so I, I I faked it. How about you, Laura? Did you ever read the original?
0: I never read this one. I did read um, Journey to the Center of the Earth, so I'm familiar with the Verne language which this is very aligned with but um it's not the 1872 of historical past or even historical fiction there's a lot more going on here
1: oh yeah speaking of around of journey to the center of the earth uh when i was researching this game online uh mini spoiler here for for everyone uh i'm told that you can actually do that in this game you can like actually meet those people yes you can Cross we can talk about that after the break, all right. post break, post break. All right. ok. That's my new goal for life. I have to do that now. We'll talk right. about it after the spoiler break, so
0: yeah, and the- there might be other. Vern spoilers after the break. Oh boy!
1: All right, all right. Let's push it. After and that's the, break, the thing guys. that this takes the the world of this game isn't the world of 1872. It is the world of Jules Verne in general. All of the more magical things that Jules Verne came up with in all of his books, and even things that feel like that that would never have been in an actual Jules Verne oh, novel, heck yes. are thrown in here. So we have tons of almost magical mechanical devices and contraptions and conveyances that actually to call it steampunk is almost doing it a disservice. I mean, it's a yeah, truly the imaginative world. So in the novel Around the World in 80 Days, when he wrote that, he was trying to write it as an extremely realistic piece of fiction. He wanted it to be like an actual thing that somebody could have done. And in fact, like a few years later, somebody actually did it in like 70 something days. So, um he when he wrote that it was excre- extremely realistic. When they're recreating it here, it's not 1872. It's 1872 on steroids. They've got balloons, airships, hydrofoils, rockets, crazy rockets every kind of, like, there's literally gotta be at least a hundred ways to travel in this game. Mechanical camels. I think that's what Laura said that sold me on this game.
0: I did. I I threw out the mechanical camels, although, um, you know, there's also moving cities, there's ice walkers, there are submarines, any kind of dangerous, inventive... There are live birds that have been hacked to have
1: mechanical elements (laughs) that you
0: ride. It's crazy. Um, if you're playing realistic... Around the world in 80 days, it would be terrible.
1: It could get kind of dull. No, it would still be awesome, but not this awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and the other really awesome thing about unlocking this wider world is you also get a wider access to characters who are not necessarily acting like the prim, proper English ladies of you know historical fiction. Um, there are very dangerous women and men. There are people of all races who have really cool roles to play. Um, You can choose to make the character as racist or as not racist as you would like. Um, You can engage in romance with anybody you like. Um, One of my favorite quotes that I wrote down um, is, were genteel Victorian ladies in London so bold? I had not seen much evidence of such independent thinking, but then I had never really asked. Perhaps such mu- such thoughts lurked in their minds, pulled in by corsets and circumscribed by bonnet strings.
1: Oh my God, I love that.
0: <laughs> um, and I think that sums up the approach to ladies. They can do whatever they want, and depending on how you play it, you can be shocked or just lean in.
1: <laughs> and the characters, like Passapartou, are really capable past of part two. Yeah, past part two. Excuse me. I think it, I'm gonna be the official like past part two pronunciator. He's the, you're the, the you're the past part two police. Yeah. Um, past part two is an incredibly malleable character. You you can choose that past part two is shocked by by these, you know, extravagant ladies. Or you can choose that he's a party-goer and full of fun. Or you can choose that he's, you know, an action hero and, and willing to jump into the fray. Or you can choose that he's, you know, totally subsumed into his role as Valet and does nothing that doesn't serve his master. Or you can choose that he hates his master. And it gives you so many moments to make these choices about who he is and what he does that you really get a feeling that like you are him in a way. He really does, I don't know, I, I loved his character, but I, I know in a sense I was just loving how many choices it gave me, how many choices it gave me about deciding who he was. Fogg is also uh, an interesting character, but he's much more of an independent character from your choices. Fogg has a sort of a, he, he's kind of in this game relegated to the sidekick role uh, apart from you, um, who are, it's almost like flipping the the story on its yeah. You're its the ear. ultimate sidekick. Yeah,
0: Fog's your newspaper reading grandma.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he he's always just like I mean, <laughs> like my favorite moment for Fog, uh, and I I just want to I know this is a bit of a spoiler. I I can't resist. I'm sorry, but um, so there was a moment where. I uh, took opium and then got kidnapped, <laughs> and <laughs> and like I joined a circus and was performing in drag. Okay, so <laughs> that's the background. And Ladies and gentlemen, this game gives you a lot of choices. A lot of <laughs> options. yes, and that's so, one city. Yes, and so Fog uh, just shows up in the audience and just you know is like, okay, let's get back to let's get back on the tri- on the trip. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you spend three or four days terrified, you can't find your master, you're alone, yeah. and you're opium-soaked, performing as an acrobat in a circus and drag, and then Fog shows up and is like, stop goofing off, let's get back on the road.
1: Yeah, so that's Fog. Uh, Fog is, is the, uh, um, he's kind of the embodiment of two things. He's the embodiment of the clock, you know, that's mm-hmm. always present running at the top of the game, and he's sort of the embodiment of kind of the British perspective that... Uh, you know the kind of button-down ideal of of the the British kind of empire that carried with you throughout the game. Sort of a foppish uh, gentleman who expects the world to bend to his uh, convenience and comfort. Um, He's also kind of a cipher. Like I, as much as I messed around, like with. The game, like trying to figure out different things that I could do and, and ways to explore. I never found out what it was that motivated Fog to take this wager. Well, it was 20,000 pounds. Other than twenty thousand pounds, he he said he never left England before. He would have never considered it. He was not a traveler. But his whole role in the game is to give you something to drag along on this trip. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have to uh, dress him. You know, you're, you're a big part of the interface of the game is deciding what to pack, and you get different bonuses to different stats uh, based on what you pack. So your your goal in the game is to dress Fog. You have to maintain his health. You have to groom Fog like a freaking spaniel i mean every time you get into a car fog is pouting about something and his hair is
0: getting mussed, and you must pull out that hairbrush or else his health will drop and god forbid his health (laughs) drops because then he starts whining and all you want to do is shut up fog
1: god does he whine But it's hysterical the way he whines. And you can either play this off as something that you don't mind doing because you're such a loyal valet, or you can play it off as something that you hate and that you resent fog. He gives you something to respond against in the game, and it makes all of the choices in the game more fun. We're starting to talk about sort of the different elements of the game, and that means that it's time for Game Mechanics Corner, a new segment that I've devised.
0: Um, (laughs) Just now.
1: Just now. Okay, guys, welcome to Game Mechanic Corner. uh, A corner (laughs) of the show. uh, (laughs) One second.
0: Uh, Nate just wrote something in Slack, so I wanted to look at it real quick.
1: uh, He just said, Wish I was there with you guys recording. Oh, okay. Because he wishes he was in Game Mechanic Corner.
0: Okay, I will be quiet. Let's start your Game Mechanic Corner.
1: Welcome to Game Mechanic Corner. (laughs) Sorry, guys. guys. I don't know if this is going to be an actual regular segment of the show or if it's going to be the entire show in the future. Um, So in Game Mechanic Corner, I like to talk about, uh, as always, uh, the mechanics of the game. Uh, I'm really bad at intros, guys, even if it's just an intro within the show into a corner, uh, just a single corner of the show. So
0: So in this segment... Shane Thank will you. introduce a few of the game elements that make the game. Just a quick list of running through what we're looking at uh mechanic-wise.
1: We're all waiting, so, Shane. We're in the we I'm going to talk about the different elements of the game uh because this game is an interesting one for a piece of interactive fiction. It's not just interactive fiction. It has a lot of different toys to play with that you can kind of experience and figure out a way to optimize your path. And they Interact with the story, but they also kind of react to the story. So the first thing is the ever present timer, the 80 day timer. You can always see the time of day and the timer at the top of the screen. And the timer is interesting because it has several reactions, several kind of interactions with other parts of the game. First off, just the timer tells you how much time you have left on the wager. And no spoilers here. You can complete your journey around the world and get back to London, whether it takes you less or more than 80 days. Apparently, but- you can do it in much less than 80 days. Um, I have heard of people completing their trip in under 40 days.
0: Yeah, I think some people have even done 30. But
1: That's just incredible.
0: My top is 54.
1: My longest was 93 days. Well, okay, I had two two runs. My longest was 93 days, and my shortest was 80 days exactly. Like, I came in at the, like, 23rd hour of the 80th day. I actually had the exact same experience. I made it in right under the wire on the 80th day. And it's it's interesting that you can kind of have those moments where you're stuck right at the threshold of London trying to get back. It's really fun. Great pacing that it really makes that possible. And the time of day is not just reflected in the eighty-day timer at the top. It it's also reflected in this gorgeous map. You can see what time of day it is based on the kind of the, the color of the sunset that you're seeing behind you and, and everything.
0: And it also has a real effect on the other things available. There's a market where you can buy or sell wares. It doesn't open till 7 AM. Um, there are banks where you can borrow money. It's only open on business days and it opens at nine. So you have to balance if you have time to buy something if and still make an eight o'clock trip, I have failed to reorganize my luggage in time to make a departure. Um, so a lot of times it's really, there's a lot of things that that timer uh, does outside of just reminding you of the overall game
1: clock. Yeah, Laura, you brought up organizing your luggage, which sounds like a horrible game element, but it's actually inventory management is a big part of this game. You can buy and sell things in the market and most if not if not all uh places you can visit will have a market where you can buy and sell you know b- around like 5 or 6 different items and different items will be worth different amounts in different markets. And you can also collect items from different events, so there's items that will be special event items that will maybe be collected from a specific action you take in the fiction, and then be worth a lot of money later on. And uh, that whole element of inventory management is handled in a really graphical, pretty way. Every item is illustrated and described, and I thought that was one of the most interesting kind of parts of the game, those items, Have real effects on your gameplay and your fiction, both because if you have the right collection of items, like if you have a set of items that, you know, is the kind of jungle travel set, then traveling in the jungle will be less tiring on fog and you'll be able to spend more time talking with your fellow travelers and less time combing fog's hair. But also, you know, you'll, you'll also unlock certain elements in the fiction. It ties the fiction to those items. I, I remember a specific time where I had a katana that I had purchased in my luggage because it was going to be super valuable later on. And I was carrying this katana around. Little did I know that that katana was used as a murder weapon. <laughs> and, and I had to defend myself. For, and I try and identify the culprit in this murder. So the the elements are tied so well together. So, I mean, and of course you're managing your money, which, Laura, you brought up the bank. Uh, the bank is a really interesting way to kind of gate the player. It's very, very possible to completely run out of money. All the different methods of travel have different costs. And... Again, that can be affected by the items that you carry. Uh, Certain items, like uh, I had a a set of items that was a railway whistle and a railway men's cap that formed kind of a railway set. And if you used those items, you could frequently travel the rails for free uh, in addition to being able to reschedule certain trips. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but if you
0: don't do that well, you have to go to the bank. And not only does going to the bank take time... But they make you wait on the money. So you can get, you know, a certain amount of money in a day, more money in two days, up to a week of waiting. So the more money you need, the more urgent you need, the longer you're going to wait for it. And the banks and markets are not in every city. So you might be at a place where you um, urgently need to drop items because you can't fit your luggage into the car and you're going to get no money for all that stuff you paid for. Or you're going to be out of money And there's no bank to borrow from. So you have to figure out a way to sell all your stuff to get out of your jam.
1: I remember a specific instance where I was right at the end of a run, ready to go back to London, one city away. But the fastest route to London was incredibly expensive. And I didn't have enough money. And I had to wait. And because of that, I wound up rolling back into London on my first successful run with less than seven hours to spare on my wager and i wound up getting back to london with less than 70 pounds in my pocket it was actually really kind of heart racing
0: that sounds amazing actually yeah
1: that sounds great my my worst run was a result of this bank mechanic where i had had to borrow money all the way across europe because i had run out of money very early and also that meant a lot of waiting for banks and so i rolled into uh london with uh at 93 days and uh Over 20,000 pounds in debt. So when I rolled in, I was actually uh, losing (laughs) money, even though I I lost the wager. But even if I had won it, I, I would have been losing money. Yes, it's a 20,000 pound wager. So if you spend more than 20,000 pounds, you're kind of in the red whether you win or lose. It actually totals that up at the end, and it'll give you how much money you have at the end following your winning or losing the wager. And it'll tell you, well, you're, you know, $28,000 or pounds in debt, or you're up like my successful run. I won the wager, but I was already in debt. So I was only up 16,000 pounds. For those of you who don't know what a pound is, uh, an 1870-whatever pound is is roughly $1.5 million today, so it's a, it's a big <laughs> bet. Yeah,
0: it's a pretty large bet. <laughs>
1: So back to the game elements. I mentioned managing money, and I mentioned—I think Reagan brought up that you can groom, <laughs> you can groom fog, which yep. is really its own mechanic. Uh, fog is not only a character, but he is a resource, and you have to maintain that resource. Um, every route you take has a cost that's not just monetary; it also takes a toll on Fog's well-being. And I don't think it's just expressing his health. It's more also his uh, gentlemanly composure. Yes. He has a, a little heart meter that's a 1 to 100. And sadly, though I tried, I never figured out what happened if his heart meter went all the way to zero. Does, heart, does fog die? Does he just spill his tea? I don't know. I got down to 8. Wow. What did you do to him?
0: I will describe a little later what I did to him. I got
1: the closest I got to death was uh, on the Arctic route. No,
0: don't. Okay.
1: All right, I won't spoil anything beyond that. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's possible, presumably, to get that that all the way down. Uh, although I I found myself taking pity on fog each and every time it happened. Yeah, I don't think I ever had the heart to let him go below fifty. I didn't <laughs> no.
0: try. I just we were in dire straits. I couldn't do anything. He just was mm-hmm. dying out there, as I, as was I. Poor Fog. Yes, we had some lovely deathbed conversations.
1: And uh, and that's I I have a a wonderful tale I'd like to relate uh, a post spoiler break related to Fog almost dying. Yes. If you haven't played this game, I think this is going to be a post-spoiler break conversation that you'll really want to hear. So play the game at least once or twice, and uh, and then join us after the spoiler break.
0: And the other thing about the spoiler is, I, you know, I played a few times. We're going to discuss things that you won't encounter, even if you've played five or six times. Um, so if you really want to be entirely spoiler free and never know anything that you've missed on the journey, don't listen to spoiler break at all. But I think we're really excited about sharing the cool stuff that went down. Yeah,
1: and there are literally hundreds of possible ways that this plot can go down. So it's really full of exciting things. So guys, I mean, we I feel like we've exited Game Mechanic Corner uh, for a second. I want to bring you back into Game Mechanic Corner. The The last few game mechanics that I kind of want to identify, one of them I, I, I kind of call the route-finding mechanic. Um, there's... Obviously we've talked about the map and you're gonna be moving from city to city on the map. But finding the most efficient route means that you have to know where those routes are. And there's several different ways in the game to do that. It ties back to a lot of the other elements that we've talked about. One is in the market where you can buy shipping maps and railroad maps and different maps that will tell you where certain things are. When you buy those items, you have to hang on to them for at least one journey and they're going to fill in huge amounts of different routes on the map. Um, And the other way that you fill in the different routes on the map is through the fiction, and there's two parts to that. One is you might run into things just sort of in the straight-up fiction of the game where you're making choices, where someone explains you can get to this place via a flying Pegasus, Super ship, or whatever. Uh, okay, I can do that, and it's gonna draw a line on my map. But you can also, anytime you're en route with someone, you can converse with them. And when you converse with them, it brings up a screen where you can ask them different questions about, like, oh, hey, what do you know about Bangladesh? Oh, I love Bangladesh. Did you know that you can you can travel from Bangladesh to anywhere else by mysterious uh, magic carpet or whatever. And so by having these conversations, you can outline different places on the map and lines between them. And I like that those moments where you were conversing with other passengers was a choice that you would make to choose to do that instead of attending to fog.
0: You can yeah. also read the newsletter and get a newspaper and get a single headline which often relates to your travels. So if you really are feeling confident and you just want to see more writing, that's another option.
1: Yeah. When you're in route, you have those three choices. You can you can tend to fog, you can converse, or you can read the newspaper. Uh, reading the newspaper tends to not generally have much advantage other than like seeing kind of a recap of what's been going on. Uh, but the conversations are an interesting moment because they tie back to the fiction. You're talking to the people that you already have with you on the journey. And they have a real benefit. They also have beautiful illustrations. Well, uh, mostly beautiful illustrations. <laughs> Actually, I, the I thought they were pretty darn good. Uh, and this, this is a little bit outside of the game mechanics, but in terms of the art, um, all of the art for your different kind of methods of transport are illustrated. You know, uh, the cities are illustrated. In a really interesting black and white line art style, they really... They're really bold and interesting looking. Yeah, it's cutout style. Oh, good, good comparison. Your kind of conversational partners in these in these travels are illustrated. If I had to pick one element of the game that I thought was not as beautiful as the rest, it would be the the the, the portraits. But the uh, but it, uh, many of them are really great.
0: Yeah, the portraits are in kind of a faux three D look that you see a lot of older flash games. That kind of mm-hmm. odd, um, you know, and lots of gradients. It's, that, it's lots of gradients, and it's that odd look where there'll just be a shadow to imply three D, but the rest of it's very um, luxe. It feels a little cheaper.
1: And uh, and past part two himself, who's always present in these scenes, just looks a little janky. I don't know his. His mustache is a little cute, but eh, I don't know. (laughs) He didn't look like the player avatar that I imagined him as in my mind. Oh, well. I mean, it's a very, very, very small gripe for me on this game. So, I mean, the final game element was a game element that was ever-present and was the key game element, which was the fiction itself. Like, it's a scrolling page of text, and it gives you what felt to me like just the right amount of choices and those choices always felt like they meant something and just the right amount of text too. like it never overwhelms you with a page worth of text sometimes I think that's one of the faults in uh, in text-based or choose-your-own-adventure style games in that like if it gives you too much text all at once it's like oh I got to read another page before I make a meaningful choice yes the animation of the text I think I I'd like to call out as being really elegant and really nice because as you make the choices, the paragraphs of text fade in in a way that surprised me because it enhanced the readability. Like the Every element of this game, including the way that the text flows onto your screen as you make the choices and the illustrations and the beautiful use of gradients on the map and the, the gorgeous, gorgeous sunrises and sunsets as the days progress, everything worked together for me. The interface of this game was the pinnacle of interactive fiction design that I've ever experienced. I completely agree. And I've played a lot of IF.
0: It's super polished and really lovely. We have a few minor gripes, but I think that on the whole, we all can wholeheartedly recommend this.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised we even had this section on our outline. Because frankly, I cannot think of a single technical quirk or quibble I had with this game. I thought that it was so enormously polished. I bet everything about it just flowed so smoothly. I I kind of agree with some of the things I see here on your outline, but frankly, none of these even occurred to me while I was playing the game.
0: And there's a couple no. bugs. If you have the conversation, you might overlap text, especially on the iPhone. Oh,
1: I did run into that, actually, now that you mm-hmm. mention it. There were a couple points where a little text bubble from the bottom of the screen was overlapping on some of the other text, but I, I don't know. It only happened a couple of times. Never to the point where it impacted my readability, but it Mm-mm. did kind of feel a little odd, out of place in the game. Um, many of the portraits are a little bit ugly. I think I mentioned that before. Uh, sorry, artist. Everything else you did was gorgeous. I loved your airships. The airships were super cool. I was a little disappointed by some features that I would love to have had, but weren't present. The game has Game Center support. It's a it's an iOS exclusive game, um, and it has. No, it's game also Center available support. on Android. Oh, really? I didn't realize it is. I was Ooh, really wanting a PC or Mac version of this game, actually, because I would have liked to have been able to see this with super large text and maybe you know a, a multi-panel interface where I'd be able to scroll back a little further or something. I, I I kept wanting to play this on a larger screen because it was so immersive.
0: I mean, Shane has a good point, though. It it does use Game Center, but for achievements only. Um, So I can prove to Shane and Reagan that I have way outstripped their pace on this game and come back with more money. (laughs) I've also played more times, full disclosure. Um, But it doesn't sync games between devices. And I think that... uh, I know Shane is moving back and forth between iPad and iPhone. I played almost exclusively on iPhone, and when I went to play on iPad, I was disappointed because you get more story unlocks the more you play. Um, There are actually routes and events that you can't unlock until you've played at least twice. Um, So with that in mind, not syncing between devices is really losing a ton of progress.
1: Uh, Yeah, that that was my biggest kind of complaint about the game was that I really wanted to be able to pick up and play on all my devices. And it seems like... A technical hurdle... I am not a programmer. It seems like a technical hurdle that should not be that difficult. But, I mean... Uh, that's that's a I I, I almost want to just skip the whole gripe section. I loved this game. One so one thing that I will complain about a little bit, and this is actually in a sense kind of a, another kind of praise, is that I really really loved reading the narrative, and I wanted to be able to go back and skim back through the story that I had just experienced to be able to remember some of the most interesting bits, and the game. Gives you a bit of a recap, but it's sort of a spoiler-free recap that it lets you tweet out at the end of your, your session, at the end of In your In fact, at any time, you can tweet that out. That's true. But I didn't see an option. I don't think I missed something. I didn't see an option Mm-mm. to scroll back through the text of your journey. And since it is essentially collaboratively making a book with the authors of the game, I would really like to be able to go back and reread that book just as I played it. Um, but I didn't see, see an option for that. That would have been really nice. Um, I, I especially in, I'm kind of replaying the game as we speak, and the, I'm stuck at this place where I'm on a boat where I'm stuck not because I'm having trouble with the game. I'm stuck because I can't decide what to do next. Um, I'm on a boat where there was a murder. Like, oh, sorry, I'm on a a hydrofoil <laughs> where there was a murder, and. I want real. I really want to do my best to find out who the murderer was, and it would be a lot easier if I could scroll back through some of the text and, like, you know, check out what the different people said when I was cross-examining the witnesses, etc.
0: I I want that feature too. But to play devil's advocate for the developer, I also think that it's really nice that in this game about rushing and not taking your time, that you can't go back. You can't go back to another city you visited. Um, that's one of the only things you can't do. Um, if you've headed somewhere, you shouldn't go back on the path you've just created. They want you to keep moving forward, keep moving forward. So I'm sure that's something, you know, I'm doing a little bit of headcanon here, justifying the technical difficulty. But um, in-game, I disagree that you should be able to go back. I agree I about that, yeah. At the end of the game, you. I would love to have the book afterwards. But in-game, I think you should be kind of stuck with that present tense narrative.
1: I totally agree. I would love to have a little library with 100 copies of you know, around the world in 80 days where I could go back and pull down any of my previous playthroughs and and leaf through it. That would be a a really big addition to this game for me.
0: So can we move on to spoiler break? Because I really want to hear what you guys think. Yes! Oh my God, okay. So
1: (laughs) this is going to be a bit interesting. We're going to be talking about our playthroughs of the game, of which I've had two. Shane has had what, two? Uh, Two and a half. Two and a half. And Laura has had... Six or seven. All right, <laughs> so she had the a game lot a lot, a lot info longer than we do. Yeah. Um, so if you don't want to hear that, please stop now. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is your spoiler break. What's the coolest thing that happened to you on your trips? Can I can I just be a little bit uh, gay for a second? <laughs> <laughs> please do, because sure. I was going to talk right. about that too. All right, my my favorite thing about this game was the romance. Yeah, yeah, guys, I I feel like uh, okay, uh, so so
0: many good romances I okay, had. So yeah. many good. Down-ances. I only really
1: had a good one once, but I'm mm. eager to hear about the other options. I wasn't expecting this at all, but the first time I played through the game, which by the way was a losing game, I did not make it back in eighty days. Uh, one of the most interesting moments to me was a trip through new orleans and i stopped in new orleans um and you often have a chance to kind of go out at night while you're waiting for the next leg in your journey and i went to a bar and a a guy dressed up as death sat down next to me and there was a kind of a romantic moment between passive part two and this guy and i won't spoil it if anybody wants to travel through New Orleans, we are post spoiler break, but we are post spoiler break, I a, know. But it was a gay romance that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and it was wasn't actually really well it. done. I really yeah, enjoyed it, really, it. I honestly really liked it. Um the the thing about this about this and I kind of realized like, oh, okay, I guess I guess Pass Part 2 is gay. Uh okay, I'll go with it. And then um on my next playthrough, uh, I kind of I kind of leaned into that a little bit. And um, I was traveling. Kind of, I wanted to go north. I, I decided to go north, north, north. And this is kind of because uh, Laura had mentioned she hadn't gone through the Arctic before. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I just I just took the northerly route every time and I went north, north, north uh, up towards the North Pole, trying to take a kind of a circumpolar route. And uh, there was an, a moment where. Let me guess. You're, you met Santa and your eyes met across the table. And, well, no, you had a stop. lovely
0: romance with a guy who gave you an icy rose. Ooh. Did, you ha- no, did, you, did you romance no that, that guy or did you write something else? No, that wasn't what happened for me. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, we had different gay romances in the
1: Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> that speaks to the volume of choices here. <laughs> in my case, um, I took. I was taking fog up north towards the North Pole, and our ski craft broke down, and we almost died, and uh, I confessed my love to fog. What? (laughs) See, before, when I went in the Arctic, I was
0: hooking up with the... One of the men on the ship before Fog. So I didn't get to confess my love for Fog. I was too busy hooking up with the the guy who gave me an ice rose. But mm. I didn't even know that was possible.
1: That's lovely. And that's not to say Fog that is. there are only gay romances. That was the incredible Mm-mm. thing about this was that there are a lot of gay romance options in this. But there are also a fair number of straight romance options, right? I hooked up with a girl who wrote algebra. That's hot. Indeed. Oh, yeah. So... I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. I mean, this is a little bit of a sidetrack to our conversation, but um can we talk for a moment about romance in games? Sure. So um, It's my favorite thing. I know. I you sent along that game about the, the sexy maids. Oh come on now. <laughs> Reagan, what was how was the romance in that game? There was zero romance in that game. How many romance a, options did you have in the sexy Love maids was literally game? a resource that you had to spend in that game. It was a. Uh, it was gross. But it was was a fun card game. Well, Fog did sort of have hearts. That's true. uh, I
0: mean, a lot of games reduce romance to another, almost like they treat politics in games, where you have to court favor, and you have X bars of favor, and then you can actually hook up with somebody once they like you enough. This game very much treats it organically as part of the story. You can flirt, you can slap people, you can throw pies at people, um, you can really do whatever you want, and you can either further your romance or squash the dreams of Monsieur Fogg yeah. when he's getting oh. hit on by two ladies at once. <laughs> it's extremely Aww.
1: simple. I mean, you're really just making choices as they present themselves in the narrative. It's not as complex as something like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, but in a sense, it feels more organic because of that. Because um, like something like Dragon Age or, or Mass Effect can sometimes feel like, go talk to girl 15 times give her gifts 7 times and eventually you'll get into the dialogue tree where you can sleep with her. And this doesn't feel that way. It really just felt like a part of the story. Yeah. I I did kind of want to talk about that. Um so games with romance have often seemed a little bit odd to me and this game I want to give it the praise of having done it well, um especially in a way that was surprising to me and kind of was different from how I would usually approach it in other games. Um, And I I kind of think that there's been a lot of advancement in terms of this in the games that I've played over time. Like I I mentioned to you guys when we were playing it uh, kind of Dragon Age, and Dragon Age is not a short game. I'm playing Dragon Age right now. I haven't mentioned it much on the show because I'm obsessed with it, but (laughs) it's like 80 hours long, and I've barely gotten like a third of the way through, Mm -hmm. so... Not really fodder for this show, but in past Dragon Age games that I've played, there were moments where you could have romance with all these different characters, and you have kind of, you know, but your your player character is kind of this avatar of you. You know, you create the character completely. You design how they look. You pick their gender. You pick their class, et cetera. Um, and then you can romance all these different characters and have this story elements that kind of come out of that, which is, which is great because you could pick straight or gay. And it's great that games are acknowledging the different kinds of players. In, in this game, you've got a really strongly characterized character, but he's kind of Schrodinger's bisexual. It's kind of like <laughs> he's not gay or straight until you've picked whether he is or you are. And you make
0: the decision to pursue.
1: Yeah. Or not. Yes. Yes, completely up and, to you. And that that is that is really interesting to this game. Uh, because you don't have a lot of games where you both have a really strongly characterized character that's kind of carefully written by an author and have that level of choice about that character's identity. That's true. I'm yeah. not sure whether that kind of validates or invalidates that character's identity. I, I kind of don't like the idea of a of a character who has you know has all these wonderful personality traits except i get to choose this one huge thing about their life
0: well i'll say you get to choose almost all the personality traits of your trusty valet you get to decide if he is mild-mannered zestful courageous they'll actually even give you identifiers when you play oh so i go hard I don't on see the zestful
2: it. yeah
0: i don't see any d- real i mean i see a if you get to choose how brave the character is, I think it's just as valid to let you choose how brave they are in romantic matters and what kind of orientation they are.
1: Yeah, I think that they just did an amazing job there by by filling it in with the writing. You know, it, that could just be a, you know, click yes for gay, click no for straight. But it became a really great part of the story just by having good writing. Do you get different Kind of story paths in this game, whether you're kind of zestful or timid or whatever?
0: I think it does make a difference. Um, I noticed that when I was playing more courageously, um, riskier options did unveil. Um, you know, occasionally, I didn't try to play similar paths very often, but when I did, I did notice a few variants. Um, the way people approach different, I know mostly it's unlocks. People will approach you if you look polished, for example. You might get a different type of person approaching you in one of the cities that a lot of people pass through. Mm -hmm. Um, There are hub cities on the map that you're more likely to get a lot of variants. And and those cities, the characteristics do come into play.
1: I'm going to have to play this game a lot more because (laughs) there are so many different choices that you can make. And, I mean, just given the fact that I have had a completely different story than each of the two of you have had mm-hmm. is a testament to what I of all, what I always am looking for in a game, which is real choice that affects the story and gives me results, like lets me have the story that I want.
0: So can I tell you the coolest unlock I got when I was playing more Zestful and Courageous? Yes, I gotta hear it. So I went down, I, I, I got into, um, I was at a bar And I was talking to people trying to get intel on where to go next. And then this couple's like, you look cool. Would you like to go hunt a sea monster with me? (laughs) And Fog was like, that doesn't sound like part of the journey. And they were like, ah, we're kind of going in the right direction. (laughs) It's like, yeah, shut up, Fog. I'm going to go on this boat. For sure. So I got on this boat with this couple. um, And we... um, It's a submarine. So an experimental submarine we were going to hunt ice monster. uh, Hunt a sea monster. And... We started going on this boat and we see the monster. I attacked it with a harpoon. Um, everything went black. Like the thing swallowed us whole. And we woke up and I was in a glass, um, like, atrium on a silk divan. And I was like, Is this heaven? I'm like, no, you're on board the Nautilus. Oh. Captain Nemo was your ah. sea monster. And Perfect. He won't let you return to the surface because he doesn't want anyone to know. So you have to, you know, wait quite a while on the Nautilus sailing through the Baltic Sea or Caspian Sea, I don't remember. And um, then after quite a long time, suddenly an octopus attacks and you have the opportunity to get the hell off the ship. Um, but you do get to spend a long time with Captain Nemo and it's really quite awesome because you then you... You know, you don't go where you're trying to go. You go way further. And it's weirdly faster because the Nautilus is fast. And then you also have the choice later on whether to give him away to the authorities who are pursuing him.
1: That's incredible.
0: It's really great. And that's one of the coolest things that happened to me. That's
1: amazing. I I had a great little subplot that cropped up for me that I was really excited about that I don't think either of you guys encountered, which was that while traveling through, I think it was Italy. So there's a lot of interesting stuff about artificiers artificiers in this Mm -hmm. um the artificiers are the sort of class or i don't know um uh uh, it's like a guild. guild exactly guild of people that make mechanical contraptions some of them just simple things like i don't know mechanical camels but others things like actual automatons that seem to be reacting like people you know like on the level of robotics um and super cool uh subplots every time you encounter them. Uh, And there are some characters who see them as natural, interesting, fascinating geniuses, and others that see them as heretics. And then you run across in, I think it was Italy, a sort of a subgroup, a splinter group of the artificiers who were a set of nuns who were trying to prove that automatons were God's creations and had a soul and then they give you a sort of a mission as as a condition of like letting you go they've kidnapped you that you have to send them back any information you gather on uh, on the possibility of artificial souls and uh, I think perhaps because of that then I later had the opportunity to encounter some automatons that had personalities and apparently even souls and that whole subplot was super exciting and fascinating. Um, and I think it was something that I just randomly stumbled across. And I played the game another time. No hint of that whatsoever. All the characters that I met were totally, uh, totally different. You know, And even passing through Italy, I don't think I passed through the exact same city, but a totally different plot passing through that area. I encountered a... a, a automaton in india that was a giant lion that had assembled itself what and that guy was awesome oh my gosh so cool and he wanted he had decided it was a giant automaton lion that was decided decided to become king (laughs) and sent you off on a mission and uh i completed that mission god i wish i could have sat down in the office when they were developing this game and throwing around Mm -hmm. these ideas there so many of them
0: I mean, um, on the small cool things, if you go to Haiti, there are living automatons, which are grafted from bone and real, um, they're actually organic, but they're automatons. And you have the option to steal an automaton iguana from the street. (laughs) Um, You can steal it and put it in your bag. But the thing about Haitian automatons is apparently they're fueled by blood, so the iguana dies in your hotel room because you don't know how well, to keep it alive. That was a real
1: thing because I ended up in South America at one point, mm-hmm. and there was a uh, there was a rumor that all of the machines that dug the canal, I think, the Panama yeah, Canal, yeah, were fueled by blood. Um, and it turned out not to be true. But then, in order to escape, I had to steal a uh, an earth moving machine along with a bunch of bank robbers <laughs> and go through the South American jungle. And that was both good and bad because I got out of there finally, but it was a really, really slow conveyance. And so I had to leave them early. But um, yeah, I I didn't know that there were actual blood-powered automatons. I thought that was just a rumor.
0: Well, they were actually like living... Creatures made out of false bone oh my God, and, that's so strange. It, and powered by blood. It's such so it's basically world a world with so I many know.
1: amazing things in it. It's like it's like every time you play through this, it's a unique and distinct, fascinating little piece of fiction with ideas that you haven't seen before.
0: So additional theme, other than awesome ladies, LGBT characters, and automatons, unfortunately, is colonialism and slavery. Yes. Let me tell you the cautionary tale of what happens if you decide to take a slave ship somewhere. Oh,
1: I had that option and I decided not to.
0: I decided to because I wanted to know what would happen and what happens is horrible. (laughs) So if you decide that you're going to be cargo on an empty slave ship, you end up in the middle of Africa, nobody who is legal or up worthy or anyone who's upstanding citizen of the law will take you anywhere because you arrived on a slave ship and therefore you sported slavery. And they will have none of you. The only way forward is to take a trip with someone who is hunting down people to become slaves. You can't move forward. I tried very hard to do anything but go with a slave hunter Unfortunately, that's all you got because no one else will take you because you're tainted. So then you have to go with her as she hunts slaves. And you can actually choose in the script to decide to murder her. And you go all the way through murdering. And then the game's like, nope, sorry, we're not letting you off the hook. So it let me choose all the options to unlock the slaves, murder this person, return them to the home. And then the narrator says... I'm sorry, I can't do this. To turn this into fiction is to deny the truth. These people became slaves and I helped them. It's like, no! Wow,
1: that's a no! dark turn. It
0: gets dark. Wow. And then you get set up on the side and you get dropped off and then pass support. Uh, it's not his name. <laughs> but <laughs> our narrator, who have been avoiding saying his name because like, people are pronouncing it, and fog.
1: Reagan, you're just going to have to cut in that... Uh, that- that pronunciation guide, like 50 times.
0: Passepartout, French, passepartout. Passepartout, French, passepartout.
1: I just called him Passy.
0: Yeah. So Passy and Fogg decide to never speak of this horrible calamity again. And he even says, I may strike it from the narrative, but that would be doing them a disservice. Mm. It gets so dark, guys. God. <laughs> Don't uh- go on the slave ship. It's terrible. Cassie <laughs>
1: also decided to tear the pages out of his journal uh, in which he confessed his love to Fog. So, <laughs> yeah, Yeah. don't. So, oh my gosh, yeah, no, this ship. is a dark world, but it's also a, a very beautiful one. It's really incredible. It's this, a game is really good when it want, when you really want to explore all the aspects of the world, and this game has. So much that you can
0: expect We didn't even touch on pirate murders, teleporters, Zulus. Oh man! Um, all of the stuff going down in the pyramids. This game. Oh god! I didn't even Egypt. get to. Af-
1: I didn't get to Africa at all. There's, There's so, much so much more to good do stuff in Africa. So mm-hmm. this game absolutely blew me away and i'm so glad that uh, laura brought it to our attention um of course we already mentioned this but you can find this game on your iphone or ipad and it's only like four bucks which is absurd like geez four bucks for this game is i want to spend 50 bucks on this game um,
0: it's currently featured as a game that doesn't have any in-app purchases in the apple store <laughs> oh,
1: they have a featured thing for that that is the current feature that's an odd thing Cool, which is wonderful. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, no in-app purchases. It's four Breeze bucks, in there and too. it's a totally amazing experience. Also on the Android store, I haven't played that version. I really wish there was a version for uh, for Macs and Windows because I would have loved to point and click my way through this. But um, it's just a uh, it's just a totally complete experience. Um, so you should absolutely get it, and I think it will totally appeal to absolutely anybody who plays games on any platform. Hardcore gamers, totally casual gamers, you can. Hand this game to your mother and she will love it. This is a game for absolutely everyone. Hand this game to your mother, says the short game.
0: I hope she enjoys seeing the word viscera.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there was some some surprisingly violent moments in this game.
0: Oh, but you totally opt into those violent moments. So you really do. By the time the violence comes, you have just... Taking some shady decisions, Yeah, you can,
1: you can get into a boxing match on a train in Russia. You can beat up Jesse James. Um, I did that. I, I took a... I slugged Jesse James. I actually stood by while Jesse James um, beat other people up and was impassive and later regretted my decision. If a small
0: child tries to rob you and bites your hand, you can try to bite them back.
1: <laughs> I didn't see that option. So really... Just just get this game. Like, four bucks. Come on. Get it right now. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. Get this game. Okay. There we are. I know we still have a short episode on the line. We've been talking a lot about uh, video game soundtracks. And one thing we never touched on for this game is the fabulous sound design. Yeah, we didn't. Um, when we, when you're hearing this episode, that may have been last week's episode because we're trying to push that one out Um Uh, pretty soon. But uh, this game had an amazing soundtrack, Um, even though it was pretty much just one song throughout the whole game. For all the different cities. Like, if you were in India, you got really great little Indian background noises. And you if were you were
0: writing in... a uh, living bird or a city or a lion, they had
1: appropriate little sounds. Yeah, amazing sound design, even though it was a simple text based game. What a game, guys. This game was a delight. It was a delight and a surprise. I am definitely going to be downloading the other games by this creator, Inkle who made this game as well as some adaptations of some famous choose-your-own-adventure books called the Sorcery Books. Have any of you guys played those? Because they look really neat. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I have not, and I'm also going to look up the author's Meg and see what else she's been doing.
1: My final thought is, gosh, this game, I've never had a game that made me really want to play gay male lead characters as much as this game. Like I, I totally got into it. I was totally shipping fog and uh, and passa <laughs> passa, passa partu, pass a part two. Yep. Pass pass part two, Yep. Pass part two. Mm-hmm. Passport. Yep. Passy. Mm-hmm. The valet. So uh, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, hopefully we'll be catching you again on another episode of the Short Game soon. Uh, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly. Uh, and I am you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K R A Y G A N K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash.
1: And Shane, where can people find you? I am at 8 bit Shane. And of course, you can find our show on Twitter at underscore shortgame, or head over to www.theshortgame.net, where you can find our list of upcoming episodes, as well as a submission form where we love to hear your feedback. If you have a game that you think we should cover on the show, uh, drop us a line and let us know. Also, um please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. That's the best way to support the show. If you head to theshortgame.net and click the button to subscribe to the show on iTunes, I think that takes you directly to the iTunes page or just, I don't know, open iTunes and like search for us. I know it's a pain in the butt, but if you do it and you leave us a review, we would very much appreciate it. Um, it helps us with rankings and it means more than you'd think. Um, yeah, we have, an, we have 18. What? We, we have a new iTunes review? Yes, we have a new iTunes review. Who is this hero? Guys, my rage, my rage at the lack of iTunes reviews in the last episode has paid off. Thank you. Adventures in Podyssey Joff. Joff. Oh, okay. He says. Because I can tell Shane's lack of rage at iTunes reviews was actually based in deep sadness. <laughs> he gives me a five-star review. I'll take it. These guys are great. Thoughtful description of games that people need to have. I can't read this because I had four whiskeys during the course of our of our of our episode. Shh, no one needs to know that. No, they all need to know that this delicious whiskey is in my body. Thank you, Adventures in Podacy, Professor Joe. I think that's probably listener Jeff who who suggested we cover Gunpoint.
0: We love our listeners and would really appreciate if you would please give us a review. We
1: love our listeners that rate us in <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> that's enough rage, Shane. Uh, thank you again and uh, catch us next week on another episode of The Short Game.